Romans chapter 3. You guys, last week, you remember, we looked at kind of Paul's argument that he's been giving us, right? The argument from the logic perspective, right? You guys realize that Paul's not up there being like, you guys are nincompoops. No, not that kind of argument, right? We're talking argument like he's making a logical, he's stating logical facts. He's laying things out and he's bringing up his own arguments. And we're going to see more of that today. He's going to be bringing up questions that he thinks are brought up by what he's saying. And then he answers his own question, right? And this is kind of one of those things. This is what we do. And so he looked or we looked last week at his argument against legalistic Jews and moralists, right? People that look down their nose on everyone else because of just how good they were. And we looked and he said, right? Like, look, man, like all of this is garbage. You're not good, right? You are a stinky sinner just like the rest of us. That's what he was telling them. And that's the truth for all of us, isn't it? This week, you guys, we're gonna, he's going to finish up this whole argument by examining this, how much God's wrath is poured out against sinfulness. And then we're going to look at the fact that, again, we're all sinful. And so we're just as much under that same wrath. That's the truth. Every human in the world is due God's wrath. Do you realize that? That is so encouraging. But... The coolest part is he made a way. He made a way through Jesus. And listen, you're not under his wrath if you seek that way of escape. If you, if you go and you say, man, like Jesus, you did all the work that I could never do. I'll, I'll take that. I believe that you did that for me. And that's, that's kind of the whole, the whole thing that we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be seeing Paul kind of finish up this section of the letter by pointing out at the end, look, man, like God's grace is our truth. That's the truth of it all. The name of this message today, you guys, is called Faith is the Answer because that's the answer. It's not in our good works. It's not anywhere else. It's only in faith. But in all of that, here's where we're really going to finish. We're going to look at the truth of God's grace. And then finally, in typical Paul fashion, he's like, but don't get such a big head, y'all. There's no reason to brag on that. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You're not special just because you've accepted it right? It's Christ that's special in you. And that's where we're going to end up. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So let's start. Verse one of chapter three says this. What advantage then has the Jew? And what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. I want to stop there. So Paul is answering a question that he is sure People are asking, think about this, you guys. He has just literally ripped the Jews to shreds, hasn't he? He's ripped the moral Christian to shreds, the one that says, I'm better than you and I can prove it, right? I'm better than you because I can show you my good works and look at how horrible you are. That person, he's just ripped them to shreds. These Jews that thought so much of themselves, because why? Well, they had circumcision. They had the law and they followed that law so well, which is a lie because if you guys know Ezra and Nehemiah where we've been in the past little bit is why is them coming back from a time when God's like I'm going to give you a pow pow and send you away for 70 years because you guys have been screwing it up right so obviously they weren't good on their own and that's what that's what Paul's been saying to him he just got done ripping him up he's like you think you're good you're not good he tore that idea to bits 
But here he's saying, so then you're saying being a Jew has no advantage. Circumcision in and of itself is of no advantage. And what's he say there? What's the advantage of that? Much in every way. He's saying, man, he's like, no, you have a huge advantage, Jew. You have a huge advantage, Christian. You've been committed something. The Jews were committed the law. They knew the law. And even though Paul had just got done saying over and over again, like, look, there are Gentiles that follow the law that don't even have the law, and they do it better than you who have the law. But he's still saying, do you realize what an advantage it is, what a blessing it is, that God was faithful enough to pick you for no other reason than just that he wanted to and pour out his blessing to you to give you the law, to give you a way of life that is better. You understand that? Like, that's what he's getting at. He's saying, man, you have, you have a huge advantage. You know the truth. You know how to bring glory, the glory of God, in the way you live your life. What was the whole idea of him picking the Jews? So that the Jews could be an example to the rest of the world of what it looked like to follow Yahweh. So that was a huge advantage. Christian, do you realize you've been given the same advantage? You know Jesus. Is your life an example to the rest of the world? Hold on. Don't hear anything. <laughs> right? That, that's the point. Is it, is it for any of us perfectly? No. Please don't, don't, don't think I'm saying that. But man, it's an indictment against my own life sometimes, isn't it? Whenever I look at my own life, I'm like, oh, Lord. I didn't do a, such a hot job today of that. Right? You guys, I just came back from Pennsylvania and on the way down. And anytime I do that without saying one swear word, I'm like, yeah, man, I'm doing really good today. <laughs> so I did that both ways. It was amazing. I haven't done that in a long, long time. We don't go through New York City anymore. That's really helpful. <laughs> we go way north and then come down through Scranton. So much better. Ah, God's grace. Love it. The fact is, you guys, he's saying here, you have the sign of circumcision. What was a sign of circumcision for them? Sign of circumcision, you guys, was an outward sign of the holiness, of the set-apartness of the Jews. For us nowadays, that's just something that we get done, right? Like, it's not really a big deal anymore, right? It's just a thing. It doesn't mean anything specifically to us in our context. But can I, can I say something that I was thinking of? The fact is, we can live our lives in a way that shows our set-apartness, can't we? Look, we know the truth. We know the truth. We know that it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that God does anything in our lives for his glory on the outside world. We know that truth. We, we have the opportunity to live that out. You guys, I thought a lot this week about my tattoos. If you guys haven't noticed, I've got tons of tattoos and I want more and I'm gonna get more. I love them. And every one of my tattoos has meaning to me. And whether you agree with me or not, well, whatever. When, when we get to heaven, and I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I don't have any compunction about it being wrong because here's why. Do you know how many conversations I've gotten to have about Christ because of these things? But I want to say something. Just like the outward sign of circumcision was worthless to people that didn't act in the way that God was calling them to, do you realize how worthless these would be if I go out to the bar and get tore up drunk? How shameful. What's that cross mean? I don't know. Come on. Do you get it? We all, you guys, have these things. Listen, this is all worthless without a life and speech that match 
what these tattoos are expressing. Do you understand that your walk with the Lord is a lot is worth a lot less to the world if your life and speech don't match up to the things that you know inside your heart? Right? That is not a condemnation. I need you to hear that. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you, listen. If you're feeling guilt and shame, that's from the enemy. Ignore it. There's no guilt and shame in Christ. His grace is sufficient. Do not walk out of here and think, man, pastor just beat the heck out of me. But if you do hear the Holy Spirit being like, you know, I do actually want to talk to you about that one area. Well, then listen. Right? Verse 3. It says, for what if some did not believe? Still talking about the Jews, right? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. You guys, Paul now is pointing to the many Jews that chose not to believe in Jesus of that time. And he's saying, look, He's answering another one of these questions that are being brought up. So you're saying being a Jew is of no advantage. Yes, it is. There is a huge advantage. He answered that question. And now he's saying basically like, well, what about all the Jews that don't believe? What does all that look like? Does that mean God wasn't faithful to his promise to, to Abraham and God didn't follow through on his end of the bargain basically is what he's saying? And he's saying, no, it doesn't diminish in any way God's faithfulness to them. That's what he's saying saying the answer is absolutely not. And he said, let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true and let every man be a liar. Let that sink in. You guys, are there still a lot of people today that don't believe? There are. It's sad, isn't it? Listen, there are people that have come up to me and actually told me that they don't think that Jesus Christ himself, that human being Jesus was even a real person. And I'm like, you are a moron. I don't say that to their face. <laughs> like, that's, that's pretty, that's, I mean, Chad, come on, man. You're the one that has, it's established, right? Like, I, there's no real historian that doesn't believe that Jesus walked the earth. We have way too much evidence of it. And it's the Bible and outside of the Bible. It's, it's all over the place. Like, there's just so much evidence that he was a human being. Was he the son of God is the real question here. But I have people that won't even, won't even get that far because they don't, they're like, no, he wasn't real. Wow, dude, what rock are you living under? Am I still being, I don't know. Lord, forgive me. <laughs> you guys, there are many today that choose, just like the Jews of that day, to not believe and accept the work that Jesus did on the cross. That's just the way it goes. But Paul's telling us all what's up. Look, the whole world can be liars. It doesn't change the truth of God. It just doesn't. That's what he's saying here. He's making a pretty abrupt statement, like Paul does. God, his word doesn't change and he doesn't change. Spurgeon had this to say about this expression that Paul gave here. He says this. That is really tiny writing. I'm going to read that on here. It is a strange strong expression but it is none too strong if god says one thing and every man in the world says another god is true and all men are false god speaks the truth and cannot lie god cannot change his word like himself 
is immutable. Immutable means unchanging. We are to believe God's truth if nobody else believes it. The general consensus of opinion is nothing to a Christian. And you guys, he said that before Facebook existed and before Fox News and before CNN. Am I missing any? MSNBC. He said it before all those. We are to believe God's truth if nobody else believes it. The general consensus of opinion is nothing to a Christian. He believes God's word and he thinks more of that than of the universal opinion of men. You guys, Paul is making it clear here that the truth of God justifies us. Even though the world around us might look at what we believe or what we say and say, you're crazy, you're dangerous, you're out of your mind, what is wrong with you? doesn't matter. God is still true. His word is still true. You guys, God, listen, I need you to hear this. this. We are in a war, but what does the Bible tell us about that war? We are not warring against flesh and blood. We're warring against, against powers and principalities, right? So listen, this is not a time. I just was back home. We got, I, I grew up in a the backwoods of Pennsylvania. Listen, I always tell everybody, it's like the Hatfields and McCoys, except we liked each other. We didn't shoot each other all the time. But I was talking to somebody, and they were, and, and, and I love, <laughs> we have people in our, that I grew up around that, that flag, hang their flag upside down because that's, we're in duress. That's what that means. And so they do that when there's a certain party in power and it's hanging upside down. And so there's this thing, and I'm like, I, I don't care, man. It's all about Jesus. I really mean that. You will not hear me talk politics. I don't care. I vote. 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 As the Lord leads you to vote, vote. That's what you're going to hear from me. But here's the truth of it all. He was talking about all these things, and, and the more I heard those things, the more he was saying that, like, man, we need to keep our arms ready, and we need to do all this, and we need to do all that, and we're all like this. And I'm just thinking, like, dude, what you're saying may be true. I have no idea. There may come a time for that. I, I'm not saying there won't. I'm, what I am saying is this, church. We're called to love. We're called to go out into the world and share Christ to people. We're called to go out into the world and stand firmly on the truth of what Jesus already did for us and what he wants to do for the entire world. He did it for the world. They just need to accept it, right? Like that's the thing that we're supposed to do in church Man, I don't know that we do such a hot job of that all the time. I think far too often we're either on one camp where we're like, let's fight everybody that disagrees with us, or in the other camp of living so much like the world that nobody has a clue. Man, this hits me hard. Let God be true and every man a liar. I don't want to ever live my life, any moment of my life, in a way that makes God look less than true. And I also don't want to walk around being a liar. I want to stand firm on this. Do you guys realize this? I don't care what anybody says here on this earth about me or to me or even about my God because God will prove himself true when he returns. That's a fact. He's going to be the one that answers that. We don't need to be the people that are going to go out. Listen, we did an apologetics thing yesterday was awesome it was amazing but the whole point i love what chad said he's like man you know what the real point is the point is not to have an argument to to get in there and like you know mix it up with people like we're not we're not boxing with people 
right? We're not doing MMA. When I was in college, man, I'm getting off track here. When I was in college, we took, um, uh, I took an evangelism class. It was an amazing class. It was good, but we did The Way of the Master. Anybody ever heard of that? It's a great thing that Ray Comfort does with Kirk Cameron, and it's awesome. But the problem that I had with it, to be honest, is that Kirk Cameron would, would be on the thing, and he'd be like, man, I spoke on this college thing, and I, I, I man, I, I like proved that they were sinners and that they needed God. But then he'd be like, but they didn't accept Jesus. And I'm just like, so you're like excited that you railed on them so hard. Wow. Let's be stoked when people come to Jesus. By the way, you guys, someone came to Christ in our church last week. It's awesome. I'm so thankful that God moves. That guy's been coming to this church for a year. I'm so, dude, I'm stoked. That's the point. That's what we're stoked about. That's what we get excited about. I want to see people come to Jesus. I don't want to win an argument against them. Listen, God is going to show himself true. And all those people that are lying are going to be left in their lies unless they too repent and turn to Jesus. And so that should be our prayer. It shouldn't be a fight in our hearts against other people. It should be a a brokenheartedness to say, oh gosh, you need Jesus. Man, you need Jesus bad, just like I need Jesus. Verse five. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? And then Paul's clarifying, like I'm speaking like another person. I'm speaking like a man. Verse six, certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. What's Paul getting at? You guys, Paul's just kind of hammering us with these questions and then giving us the answer. And so here he's continuing to answer these questions of what critics are probably going to say, and in this case, actually we're saying. So what's he saying? Why would God be able to judge us in wrath if our own unrighteousness reveals just how righteous he is? That's what he's saying. Like, if, if we're so bad, why would God judge us for that? I mean, he's so good. And we get to show that by how much of a garbage life we lead. And he's saying, like, no way. That's not the point. Right? Why would God judge us if our unrighteousness reveals just how righteous he is? He's like, isn't that unfair then? Isn't that unfair or unjust of God to judge him when he looks so good compared to us? You guys, I've heard people say that stuff in the past, haven't you? Have you ever heard anybody say, like, look, all that bad stuff I do shouldn't count against me. I mean, God made me this way. If God's so good, I'm just showing how awesome he really is. And Paul answers that stupid question with a sideways glance. No. He answers that question with an awesome answer, doesn't he? He's like, man, if it was true that because of our badness, God wouldn't judge us, then he would judge no one because we're all bad. Like God wouldn't have a place to judge anybody if that was the way things were. But he makes it clear that, look, he's not judging you, human. He's judging the sin of the world. Does that make sense? 
He's judging the sinfulness of this world. You guys need to hear that. It's important that we hear that because the enemy will never attack your sin. Do you ever notice that? Satan doesn't come against your sin. He comes against you. Satan will come at you and be like, you are horrible. You know you did that again. Oh my gosh. That you, how many porn blockers do you got to put on your computer and you still find a way around it? Look at you. Man, you trying not to gossip and man, you can't even get around it. Even in prayer circles, you're gossiping your face off. What are you doing? So he uses the sin that you commit, but he uses it against you. And God's like, man, I love you. You. I love you. I created you. You're my creation. I don't love what you do. I died for that. Why? So that you and I can be in relationship. So that I can love you. Because I love you anyway. Do you understand? He doesn't love our sin, you guys. You need to hear that. I'm not acting like God's like, hey, have at it. That's exactly what Paul's saying. We can't say, hey, have at it. Why would we sin that grace may abound? That's not the point. We don't want to use God's grace as a doormat. Not ever. But the point I'm making that we need to hear today, that everyone needs to hear, is everyone that says to me, I can't come through these doors because the church is going to fall down, I always say to them, like, it hasn't happened to me yet. You're fine. Why would it never happen to any of us? Because God doesn't look at you, human, and think, oh boy, God didn't look that way at Hitler. Do you understand that? Did God like what Hitler did? Not at all. Does God like what you do? Not at all. He doesn't like your sinfulness. He paid for it. He poured all that out on Jesus. It's paid for you guys. That's the point he's making here. It's a false way of thinking that believes that, man, I got to keep doing evil so that God will look so good. You guys, there is actually people in church today that believe that. Do you guys ever hear of antinomianism? Being, being that way is, is, it's a big fancy word, but the idea is that it's, not to go too far down this rabbit hole, but it's more common in like really heavy, heavy Calvinist churches because Calvinists are like once saved, always saved. You're good. God has elected you and it doesn't matter what you do basically. So you can throw keggers at your men's retreats and you can do whatever you want because it doesn't matter. You're in. That's not right. That's, a, that's putting philosophy of man before God's word, right? It happens. Not, not every church does that. You understand? But there are churches that do that. I've, I've definitely known of them. I actually have a pastor friend of mine that got kicked out of his own church because he told them they couldn't throw a kegger at the men's group. <laughs> and they fired him. Sad days. Sadly, that church didn't last long. Or maybe good thing. I have no idea. Do you understand? There's stuff that we get twisted in our minds because we get different way. Listen, let's go through God's word verse by verse, and let's just look at the truth here. And what it says here is, no, we're not supposed to do good or do evil that good may abound. We're not supposed to, to use God's grace as a doormat. What does it say? Flip over with me, Romans chapter 6, just a few pages over. One page over for me, page 1,339. says this, verse 1 of chapter 6. We're going to read this in a few weeks. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? 
You guys, it's not a logical argument that we're reading here for anybody that would bring this up and say like, man, like I'm just going to keep doing bad because obviously, you know, God saw fit to make me this way and it's just how it is. It's not a good argument. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. You do not, you are not, you are an old, a new man, you're a new creation. The old man is dead or reckoned dead because man, my old man keeps showing up every day. How about you? It's like the worst zombie in the world. You guys, Paul's saying, man, that way of thinking is bogus. Verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So Paul comes back to the church, basically, this Roman church here, and he's asking them, like, you, you feel like maybe you're better than these Jews? You feel like you're better than these religious folks that don't quite get it? Or they just don't follow it at all? Like, they just think that, like, oh, well, I'm messed up, and that's just how it is. Do you, do you feel better than them? Because the fact is, is that you're sinning, we understand, doesn't make God look better. And just because you get this idea that walking in obedience and grace, knowing that you're screwed up, you, you think that makes you better? Like, that's what he's asking him. And he's saying, no, no way. That doesn't make you better. All of us, everybody, you guys, we're all under this curse of sin. We all swim around in it. We can't avoid it. You guys, I'm not trying to be disgusting here. <laughs> Hear me on this. But when I was reading this, the thing that kept coming to mind was this, is that we all go number two. Is that a fact? You know what I'm talking about? We all use the restroom. We go number two. That's fact. We all do that. Every human being does that. That's how God created us. The, the point he's making is we all do these things. We all sin. We all have something that we don't really want to talk about. And what he's acting and saying out here is that let's not smear it all over ourselves. Let's not put it all over ourselves just to prove how much better God is. You understand? And I'm using a pretty graphic way of saying that because I think that that's sometimes how the world, the Christian church lives, is that they're like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to relate to these people, and so I'm just going to the bar and getting drunk. What? Be different. Be holy. Be set apart. I listen and watch these movies because I want to make sure that I'm aware and culturally relevant so that everybody around me can know how cool I am. No. Right? Like, you don't need to do these things. 
I'm also not saying we need to be the church that is like, I boycott everything, and I don't like Disney, and I don't like Coke, and I don't like, I love Coke, by the way. And when Disney bought Star Wars, I'm sorry, I watch Disney, because I like Star Wars, right? You get my point? Like, I don't want to be a church that's so freaky weird that, like, we don't know anything about anything, and we have no connection to the world. That's not healthy. That's not good. That's not what God's word says, does it? Be in the world, but not of the world. So it doesn't mean we got to avoid everything, but man, being part of everything just so that you can be relevant. Oh my goodness, why? Why are you putting all that junk in your head? Why are you being in those positions that don't bring glory and honor to God? Right? Like there's a balance there. And the Holy Spirit has the answer in that for you. And guess what else has the answer, you guys? Come to this church and be real with each other. I'm just being honest. Because it's a chance for us to sharpen one another. And so that if you're like, man, I go to the bar once a week, and you're like, is that wise? Is that smart? Like, do you think that's a, a good thing? Well, dude, I go and I drink soda, and, and I go and hang out with people. Okay, maybe that's okay. Maybe that the Lord's okay with that for you. Do you know what I mean? We're not here to judge everybody and be like, that's wrong! Can't believe you did that! But if you come in and you're like, yeah, man, I started out, I was drinking soda, and now I'm drinking about a beer or two, and now I'm drinking like four, okay, dude, you need to stop. You're going towards the world, not pulling anybody towards Christ. Do you get my point? We get to have those conversations when we're real with one another. I, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. You guys, from verse 10 to 18, Paul's giving us this Old Testament picture of all the stuff he's been talking about. Humanity is depraved. How do we know that? You guys realize, you, you heard of original sin, right? The Catholics have this idea that it's cleansed away with the baptism at birth. I don't really see that scripturally at all, so I'm not trying to burst anybody's bubble, but I just don't see that. We are all under original sin. Sin. Sin that we're born with. Sin that we cannot get away from. That's who we are. That's our bend. That's just our, our nature, right? We're just sinful by nature. Like the old band, naughty by nature. Yeah. Who knows that reference? Nobody. You guys, these are the quotes that he's using, and these aren't direct quotes. I love how Paul does this. Paul, you guys, if you are, if you are of the type of mindset where you have to, you're like, I need to memorize Scripture so I can give people memorized Scripture. Listen, I really struggle memorizing Scripture, so I give my smiley paraphrase to a lot of Scripture. That's what Paul's giving here. Paul is tying together a bunch of different Scriptures. For you note-takers, here they are. Psalm 5, 9. Psalm 10, 7. Psalms 14, 1 through 3, 36, 1, 140, verse 3, and Isaiah 59, 7 through 10. He kind of just does like a mashup of all those scriptures all together and just kind of points out little parts of it here and there. And these are all supporting the truth that Paul's spitting, that we're all messed up sinners. That's what he's saying, every last one of us. And he says all this in verse 19 and 20. He kind of sums it all up, right? He's saying like, man, what's the point of the law? The point of the law is to show us how guilty we are before God. That's what he's saying. It shuts our mouth if we speak of our own goodness. You think you're so good because you didn't murder? You didn't honor God with your life. That's the first commandment, dude. You messed that one up. What are you doing? You took the Lord's name in vain. You did this. You did that. You did this. You coveted your neighbor's stuff. You did, you know, whatever. Like there's all, we are all messed up. No flesh is ever going to be justified in God's sight. 
Verse 21. It says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed by witness, uh, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. I'm gonna read that again. By, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because of his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You guys, if you want to talk to anybody about Jesus, just come there and read that. That's it. That's the gospel in a nutshell. You guys, Paul concludes the beatdown of how bad and screwed up we are with this huge encouragement. Listen, yes, you're messed up, but you don't have to keep living under that condemnation. You can have freedom. There's a better way. Faith in Jesus. Not faith in faith. You guys understand the difference? There's a lot of people that will walk around and be like, I have faith. And you're like, in what? Like, in what? What does that mean, you have faith? I don't understand. The church has turned faith into this thing that we can womp up inside of ourselves to get that Lamborghini or a bigger house. That's not what faith is. Right? Faith in Jesus. Faith in the work that he accomplished. He died on the cross. He rose again for your sins. You had nothing to do with that. Well, actually, that's not true. We all had something to do with it. Do you know what we had to do with it? We put him on the cross with our own sin. That's the only part we had to play. We killed the guy. He had to die for us, for me. And he did it because he wanted to. And if, if any one of us was the only human being ever on earth, he would have done just the same for us, for you. You guys, it's amazing. Faith, not in your works, not faith in faith, not in faith that you've whomped up on your own. No, faith in what Jesus did and has already done. That's it, you guys. Faith that Jesus, God in flesh, lived the perfect life here on earth, died as a perfect spotless lamb for us. And then after all of that, right? He's like, yo, I'll be back in three days. Which any human saying that would be like, you're a freak. You're not, <laughs> that's weird. But he did it. He came back in three days. He rose himself from the grave. Do you understand that? If God is three in one, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and God the Son, that means that literally God, the Holy Spirit, raised up Jesus, God, in flesh. He raised himself from the dead. You guys, that's That's true. That's a fact. I believe that wholeheartedly. With, from the bottom of my heart, I believe that. That is what I'm holding on to. That's what I have faith in. That's it. Do you understand how much freedom there is in that, in that truth? You guys, I, Christians, I need us to get a hold of this. The enemy loves to beat you up all day long, loves to beat me up all day long with the stuff I do or don't do, with the stuff I said or I should have said, or just all this stuff, you guys. And, and I get to take all that and bring it back to the cross and be like, God, thank you. Thank you that you forgive me for even that. 
Lord, thank you. And I, Lord, I don't want to use your grace as a doormat. So will you grow me up? Will you teach me to shut my mouth sometimes? Oh, Lord, God, help me. Lord, would you teach me to be brave and open up my mouth when you want me to? Lord, would you make my actions be something that you get glory and honor from? This is, this is tough. This is our life, man. This is sanctification. This is the walk we're on, you guys. No one expects perfection. We can't. God doesn't expect perfection. He wouldn't have sent Jesus if he expected perfection. Do you understand? But he does expect us to walk with him, to be in relationship with him, to love him. You guys, this, this sex, man, we could just sit here all day just ruminate. I would encourage you guys throughout this week just to keep reading verse 21 through 26 and just get it in your head and not just in your head. Let it sink deeper. Pray this over your sinfulness. Whatever that besetting sin is, if it's pornography, if it's lust, if it's alcoholism, if it's just drugs or just stupid stuff that you're doing and stupid stuff that you say. And yeah, it's stupid. We say stupid things, don't we? We do stupid things, don't we? Man, God's he's paid for that. You're not stupid. Do you understand that? Do you know why? Because you're a son and daughter of the king. That's it. You guys, our faith in this work will lead us to what? Repentance. That's how a quick sign when you know it's the enemy that's coming against you and putting guilt and just layering all this stuff on you is that what that makes you want to do is go hide in a corner, doesn't it? It makes you want to crawl into a little ball and not come out anymore because you're like, oh, you're right. I am this, I am, oh, I am, I am. No. Faith in what Christ did allows the Holy Spirit in your life to say, hey, let's talk about that. That thing you did that place you went, that website you looked at, all those things that we do, it brings us to a place where we get to go back to God and be like, God, forgive me. Lord, I repent. Would you grow me up? Would you, God, I don't want to keep doing this stupid thing. I don't want to keep saying these silly things that don't bring any glory to you. God, help me with my language. God, help me in what I'm doing. Please, Father. And that's the place we should all be. Romans 2, 4. We just read it a few weeks ago. Last week, as a matter of fact right? It's his grace that leads us to repentance. It's, it's that heart of the faith in, in God's grace that leads us to that repentance. And Paul makes it clear that this isn't just any faith that only Jews can receive. It's for all of us. He did it for everybody. We've all fallen short and he paid for everybody. We need to hear that too. Your coworker that you just can't stand and you're like, man, that guy is more of a heathen than any heathen I've ever met. God loves him. God wants to bring him to, to know him too. And who do you think you are, heathen? Right? And we, it's, it's quick. Pride is a quick thing, isn't it? It can pop up in, in any second. You guys, we're justified under the blood of Christ. And that is a beautiful and amazing thing. Verse 27. It says, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, by the law of faith. 
Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith, or through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So Paul is knocking everyone down a peg here. He's making it clear, like, what can you boast in? Your own special perfection that you're walking in? Nope, can't boast in that. The answer is this, you can't boast in anything. You've got nothing to boast in. The only boast that any of us have is in God. That's our only boast. Like, look how big my dad is. He's awesome. That's it. That's all we've got. And that's more than enough, isn't it? He sent Jesus for us, you guys. We have faith that that saves us. Flip over with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. You guys know this scripture. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You guys, in this book of Ephesians, Paul's clearing it up to the church in Ephesus. Like, dude, you don't think you're all that in a bag of chips. You are not special. You are not any special cookie. You're nothing, right? Your mama might have told you that, but you're not. You're the same silly person that the rest of us are. But, and you're saved by God's grace, not by your own works, but guess what? God is so cool, he gave you good works to walk out anyway. That's awesome. And so Paul's clearing up another obvious question. If the law doesn't save, and faith in what Jesus did is our salvation, then what good is the law? Do you see the question he's asking here? You guys, sometimes, I don't know, like I think of my brother over here who's, we have a couple lawyers in our church, and I always think that the way Paul writes, is that true that Paul kind of writes like a lawyer? He kind of has these like, the way he argues sometimes, I don't know, maybe I'm way off there. I don't know. <laughs> Listen, I like law and order, and I feel like Paul reminds me of those guys. <laughs> Definitely the same. Yes. But the way Paul writes, man, he's like, I'm not even going to let you kind of bring the argument up. I'm going to bring the argument to you and tell you, is this what you're thinking? Let me scratch that. Is this what you're thinking? Let me hammer that down. Is this what you think? You're wrong. That's kind of the way Paul writes. And so Paul's clearing up this obvious question, like what good is the law if our faith is in salvation? Is it void because of this faith? And Paul's stating an obvious truth here. The law, you guys, we read earlier, we've read before, right, that the law's our tutor that shows us the need for a savior. That's what the law's there for. It's meant to show us how bad we stink and how much we need somebody to save us that didn't stink. That's it. And what did Jesus himself say about the law? Flip over with me. This is the last scripture. Matthew, the book we just came out of. You're like, we just left it. Oh, my goodness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. This is what Jesus said about the law. I love that sound. Steve, just rustle the pages. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It says this. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. 
For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So Jesus makes it clear, like until I come back, this law, this is it, man. I'm here to fulfill it. I'm here to show you what it looks like to live it out. I'm here to, to like give you a picture of what the law is meant for, right? And so here he, he did it himself. He, he walked it out because we couldn't. God sent himself in Jesus and he wasn't being selective in his redemption. You understand that? You hardcore Calvinists here probably like, well, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, too bad, it's wrong. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. And if you don't like that, well then, I don't know what to say. No, listen, here's the truth, you guys. God died for everybody. It's everybody's choice whether or not they come to the Lord. For real. That's, I mean, I, I firmly believe that. Is it a point worth arguing over? No, it's not a point worth arguing over. I don't know. When we get to heaven and we find out that we were all elect and, uh, and that's how it went, I believe personally that we've all been predestined to have free will. Let that one bake your noodle. He wasn't being selective, you guys. He was doing the final thing that would fix everything. Do you understand that? He was doing the final thing that was needed to fix everything. But he loves us so dearly that he won't just force that reality upon us. He loves us so much that he won't just go ahead and force us to go that way. Do you wish he would? I do. I've prayed that prayer a million times. Lord, just make me an automaton. But then it would be no longer capable of loving him anymore, would I? Not truly. And, and the fact is, is that, man, he loves us so much that he says, man, you have to choose to put your faith in the work that I've given you. And Paul's making it clear the law was sent to the Jews to show the whole world who Yahweh was, but ultimately it showed the whole world, it shows the whole world their need for a savior, that Jesus is that savior. And so the law of God was fulfilled in its entire purpose in Jesus. All of it was fulfilled. If you're here today and you honestly believe that you're perfect or that you're good enough to get to heaven on your own, I got I, I, I to gotta encourage you, and I mean this in all sincerity, please stop lying to yourself. Let God be true and every man a liar. God's word tells us all that we're all messed up. My own life tells me I'm messed up, right? If my own life didn't tell me that, my wife would. Right? Like, there's no doubt somebody here would be like, man, you, wow. You are a piece of work, my friend. Right? Somebody would be honest with me. You guys, if that's, if you're here today, you honestly, and I mean this, and I'm being sincere, if there are people in this world that I've talked to a million times over, and I'm sure there's more to come, that especially up here in New England, you guys, Vegas is a huge church. Our, the church that planted us, Calvary Chapel, Las Vegas, they're a huge church, but one of the biggest reasons why is because guess what? In Sin City, people know they're sinners. It's by definition. They live in Sin City. Out here, man, people don't think they're sinners. They think that their own education gets them somewhere. They think that they're good enough in some way to somehow pass some test. And I'm like, you're not going to pass the test of perfection because you are not perfect. And that's the standard that God set. And guess who gets to set the standard? The perfect God. 
And he loves us so much that he made a way for us, you guys, through Jesus. Perfect God in flesh that lived a life of perfection for us, died and rose again just so that we can come into right relationship with him, even though we don't deserve a bit of it. Listen, I want you to hear this if you're here today and you really are thinking that you're good enough. Listen, you need a savior just like the rest of us. Not, the, not your friend, not the person next to you, not your coworker, you. You need a savior. If you're here today, Christian, and you've already put your faith in the work of Christ, then I have a question for all of us. Are you walking, breathing, speaking out of that truth in the way you're living your life? Are you walking, breathing, and speaking out of that truth in the way you live your life? Are you doing the thing that God's given us the privilege of doing, to be a bullhorn, to be an example to the world around us of what it looks like to follow God? And I need you guys to hear something. That doesn't mean I'm saying, are you walking in perfection? If you still think that, then you haven't been listening. We're not perfect. We can't be. That's not what I'm getting at. But do you understand something? Listen, there is just as much of God showing himself and being glorified in your life when you make mistakes. Here's why. Because you get to go back to someone that you've hurt or somebody that you've done something against and apologize. Do you realize how rare that is in the world today? Do you realize how rare that is in the church today? Nobody in the church even likes the word repentance because they're like, I don't want to, I don't want to follow. I'm, I have no regrets. I have no regrets whatsoever. <laughs> you guys, we have regrets. I have regrets. The only reason I can say I have no regrets is because I keep falling onto God's grace. But I'd be lying if I was like, dude, I've lived my life in such a way that I have nothing to be ashamed of. I have plenty to be ashamed of. And I've got life to live yet, so I bet I got some more. I don't bet, I know. But the reality is, you guys, is that we can live our lives in such a way that we're doing our best to shine Christ. And so just like I go to God and I repent, I go to my brother or my sister, or I go to my coworker, and I apologize. Do you understand? That is walking out the walk of Christ. That's being real. That shines brighter than you being like, oh man, I messed up, but I got to show everybody Jesus. So what I'm going to do is just ignore them. Man, but that's what people do sometimes. That's legalism. That's, hypocr that's hypocrisy. That's why everybody in the, out in the world looks at the church as like full of hypocrites. I'm like, you're right. Man, we're messed up people. Come join us. You guys, we're supposed to be an example to the world around us, of Jesus and all that he's done. That's, that's the point of all this. That's the whole thrust of all these questions that he's been ask, asking here in Romans is that he's saying, like, look, the law is good because it shows us our need for a savior. Jesus is that savior. That's the good news. That's the gospel. We don't get to boast in that. We're not special. We don't get to dress up on Sunday mornings and be better than all the heathens out in the world. That's not the point at all. The point is, is that we get to do our best to live for Christ and live a life that shines Christ to others. And we get to bring all of the other beggars to the bread. That's the point. Let's pray. God, this message, I'm praying. Father has had impact. It, it's a uh,
Lord, when we come to your word and we, we split it up like we do, Father, sometimes I feel like the context can be a little bit shaded or, or in the shadows. God, I'm praying that isn't true today. I'm praying, God, that as we dig through your word, as we look, Lord, at, especially at Paul, Lord, who just wrote so um, prolifically, Lord God, as well as just such a smart guy, Lord, and he used him in such a mighty, mighty way. But Father, would you make it clear to us Lord, we are just like Peter who said that, you know, Paul's hard to understand sometimes. But Holy Spirit, I'm praying. Would you bring clarity? Lord, for every one of us here, Lord, I'm asking, Father, if there be anyone here that doesn't know you, God, I'm, I'm asking, I'm begging you, Lord, just like last week, Lord. So thankful for that, Lord God, but I'm, I'm asking for more. Lord, not because of any other reason that I just want, man, Lord, I want heaven to celebrate today. I know, I, know you, I know you are, Lord. Your word says, Lord, that you celebrate over each one that comes to you, over each prodigal that comes back. Lord, over each person, Lord, you celebrate, Lord, and, and, and Lord, that's what I want. God, for this church, for those that call Great Bay Calvary home, Lord, for those that know you, God, you know our lives. You know the way we think. Lord, you know our deepest and darkest and most maybe disgusting thoughts that we have. Lord, you know the thoughts, Lord, of just sadness and, 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 and just despair, Lord, over the way we're living. Lord, you know the highs. You know the lows. You know it all. God, would you, I'm asking, Father, would you get a hold of us as a church? Lord, would you help us to realize that your grace and your mercy have been poured out, Lord, and it is a deep, 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 deep ocean, Lord, with no bottom that we can continue to just swim in and dive around in and just stay firmly planted in your grace. God, help us as a church to understand that more, Lord, not to make that adornment, Lord, or not to continue in the ways of our own flesh, but no, Lord, the, the, the polar opposite, God, that you would get a hold of us and help us realize, Lord, just how much you are right there with us and that you're walking with us, Lord, that we could be strong, Lord God, in you, Lord, that you would be strong in our lives, Lord, as we realize more and more our weakness. God, that we could dive deep into your grace and just walk in it, Lord, and just, just be refreshed by your grace day by day, Lord. And, and Father, that you in that, Lord, would show yourself strong, Lord, that you would walk out through our words, Lord, that by the end of a day, Father, that we would come home and be like from work and realize, wow, look at what you did today, God. Look at how you moved in my life, Father. Thank you, Father, for even though I've got so much heartburn against this one coworker, Lord, you, Father, are softening my heart towards that person. Lord, I thank you, Father, that even though my mouth may be just full of curses and have been for years, God, that you, Lord, are working that out of me, Lord, that that's becoming less common, Lord God, that people are noticing a difference in who I am, Lord, and we know and I know, Lord God, that that's only because of you. Lord, that's the life I ask for all of us. And yes, Father, yeah, we all want this, God. We want radical transformation, Lord. Man, God, if I can ask for one thing for all of us, Lord, turn us into just the perfect image of you. Man, Lord, that's what we want. 
But Lord, you use us even in the struggle. Lord, your word says, Lord, we talked about it last night at the apologetics thing, Lord. It's, there's something about you working all things together for good. There's something there, Lord. And I think that something there, Lord, is something that we get to understand more and more as we just literally claw our way towards the finish line day by day. So God, if there are people here that aren't even walking right now with you, Lord, they're just clawing their way with you, Lord, I'm praying, Father, would you give them the strength to stand up and start walking? Lord, if there are people here that have been walking with you for a little while, but Lord, you're asking them to jog, I'm asking, Father, would you help them, give them the courage and the wisdom and, and, the, and just the insight, Lord, to take that next step and start jogging with you. Lord, I want us all to be in a dead out sprint with you. Clear to the end. Lord, I want all of us, Lord, to get to heaven with nothing left. But Lord, most of all, I just want to see your kingdom explode through these lives of ours. God, move in us. Move through us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.